Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 2nd, 2022, we bring you a special sermon by Bob Wade titled, How to Live a Godly Life, out of Psalm 127, verse 1. Enjoy. Psalm 127, verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That's been going through my mind now for quite a while. It, in fact, it even brought me back to the, you know, the old days when I was in college really a long time ago. And I, re- I remember you know, going to, uh, you know, at, at UC San Diego, going to this, uh, this big gathering and, and, and Keith Green, who was a, a singer at that time, a Christian singer, got up and he sang, unless the Lord builds a house. And so I kept thinking that song over and over and over again for the last eight months. God's just been laying that on me over and over again, and I've decided that this is going to be my, you know, my New Year's resolution. I don't know where you're at on resolutions. You may think that they're worthless. I think a resolution is very simply is that you come to the end of a year, and you look back, and you look forward to the new year, and you look forward, and you decide, did I like what I did, or did I not like it? What would I do differently? My prayer is that you will consider maybe making this the resolution for your year. Spiritual resolution. This morning we're gonna talk about how though. How do we let the Lord build the foundation that we build our lives on? We're gonna look again at the passage here. We're gonna look at three observations here that I see in the passage. Verse one though here actually is a part of five verses that stress the very same thing. That all we do, whether it's building a home or a family or a life is worthless unless the Lord's in it. In fact, twice here in verse one, Solomon repeats the phrase, unless the Lord. It's a very clear directive that whatever we do without the Lord will never have the impact that it should have had. He uses the word here vain as a warning. The idea that any efforts or work that we would do without the Lord in it is not worth doing. Remember, Solomon here, who is the writer of all this, is considered to be the wisest man who ever lived. So why would he say this? Well, because there is a propensity in human beings to seek our own way, to fulfill our own desires by means of our own plans because we trust our own thoughts the most. Somehow thinking that God must be really happy. God's got to be really happy with the idea that we are fully independent people. Look, from a theological point of view, let me just tell you, that's not true. In fact, you know the place where God really wants you? He wants you dependent upon him. Not dependent on you. Dependent on him. The result so many times in our lives, though, is that we tend to relegate God to a secondary role, the fallback position. We go about our lives, we make our plans, we set our direction out before us, we decide what all these things we're going to do, and then we sort of throw God a bone at the end spiritually and go, God, would you bless it? As opposed to going to the Lord first and saying, God, what is it you want me to do? They're two different things completely. Asking God to bless our plans or asking God to guide our planning are two things that are completely different. 
Verse one here starts off with this clause, unless. It is both a warning and a directive. Don't waste your time on efforts and things that will not work, that will not protect you, that will not serve you or save you or bring you closer to Christ or make you who God wants you to be. The passage actually in many ways is a metaphor and and the metaphor he uses here is of building a house. Now let me tell you what it's not. What he's not saying here is that God actually has to be the one that wields a hammer. What he's referring to is the Lord's direction in our lives. See, the word he uses here, house, is used a thousand times in the scriptures. Sometimes it actually is a house. Sometimes it's a palace. Sometimes it's used of a a temple. Sometimes it's used of your family gathering together. Sometimes it's used of a home. But it's always in reference to your life. It's much more than just a dwelling. It encompasses, you know, who we are and it reminds us of the fact that my, my, my identity needs to be found in Christ, my security in Christ, my calling in Christ, my direction, all of it ought to find its fulfillment in Christ. We can't hope for a fulfilling life without it. But to do that requires that I lay down my, my choices, my desires, and pursue the Lord's choices and the Lord's desires. Now, there's important things to keep in mind here because many of you say, well, I've done that and it didn't work out exactly the way I wanted to. Well, maybe it's because that was never the route that you envisioned your life taking. And you only saw happiness as taking the route you wanted. Maybe you pursued happiness more even than fulfillment or satisfaction. Solomon here as well does not say stop and do nothing. He doesn't, in the passage, he's not saying, look, until you've really prayed about this, do nothing. He's not saying that at all. Very, you know, often people will want to do that. Well, I'm not even going to move. I'm not going to do anything until the Lord directs me. No, the fact is God is expecting you to call on him first and then do do with your life. The idea here is to let the Lord be the directional force in our lives. In fact, he will tell us here that self-reliance and trusting in our own wisdom is absolutely vanity. And so this morning, we wanna look at how do you build that life? A life that Psalm 127 tells us is not vanity. And again, we're gonna look at three observations from the passage here. Here's the first one, okay? It all starts off with our plans. See, the first thing is, I would tell you, is don't make plans without God. You look at verse one and you notice here that the builder here is building, but he's never, there's nothing mentioned here about ever going to the Lord. You know, one of the most common mistakes that we make as believers is to somehow design a life without God. How do you do that? We do it by busy schedules. I mean, I don't think people do this on purpose. I don't think you know, believers ever stop on purpose and go, hey, look, we, we prayed that prayer. I've got my insurance. And so you know, I'm, 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 I'm gonna go to heaven, but now I'm just gonna do whatever I want and I'm leaving God completely out of the schedule. I don't think anybody's doing that. I don't think that's the, the goal of any family. I think what ends up happening is our lives get very busy and they begin to fill up. 
And then we have children. And those children all have these needs and wants and desires. And we want to be good moms and dads and grandpas. And so, you know, grandma and grandpas, and we want to help them. And so, you know, this one's playing ball and this one's, you know, playing music and this one's doing this. And we want to help them get into all these different things. And it doesn't take very long at all until your schedule just fills up completely. And it's all good things, but at what cost? Is there any place along the line that that maybe we should have stopped and asked God, God, before we fill up our schedule, what is it that you want? What is the one thing here that I don't want to put in something good when I could be doing something amazing? But it happens. Thing is, the Lord tells us not to do that. Turn in your Bibles over to, to the right from Psalm 127 to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three. Pretty familiar verse here, Proverbs three, verses five and six. Again, Solomon writing, he say these things. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We all know that part. But the second part is a little bit more difficult. It says, and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Yeah, but aren't we supposed to be like self-reliant people? Shouldn't I lean on my own understanding? Isn't that why I'm an American? I mean, I get to do my own thing. The promise here is if I place more trust in God than in myself, God will bless it. It sounds easy enough, but the truth is we are way more likely to trust in ourselves than in anyone else and that's not a great thing. Go back into the New Testament for a minute. Go over to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is gonna tell a parable about two brothers who have an issue. I want you to see what he says here. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, let me show you what the problem here in the passage is. The problem here is verse 17. Go back and look at that for a second. Verse 17 says this, he thought to himself. Isn't that exactly what Solomon told us not to do in Proverbs 3, 5? Do not lean on your own understanding. What he in fact was doing here is he's making plans without consulting the Lord, which exposes this problem that it becomes really common in human beings is we think our ideas are better than everybody else's ideas. Want to know the truth? Your ideas are not better than God's. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount even highlighted the problem. And in Matthew chapter seven, verses 26 and 27, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What he's saying is to design a life without the Lord's plan is in Jesus' words, foolish. So what do we do? What do we do if I've already done that? Well, if you're, if you're in the business world at all, maybe this is a term that we'll, you'll understand quickly. You ever heard the term decision-making rights? Decision-making rights would be a little bit like, for, for, if you don't understand that one, would be, imagine that this whole room right here is all a part of a corporation, okay? A big corporation. And, and, and everybody in here is, is all of a part of this and we've got to decide what we're gonna do. We're gonna go left or we're gonna go right at a certain thing. Decision-making rights would be is that we'll decide you know, how, how that's gonna happen, but we're not going to let everybody make that decision because it would be impossible. Imagine having everybody here you know, in, in this whole thing and getting put a chance to put their two bits in. So what happens is you provide a smaller number of people that are gonna come together and they're gonna make that decision. It's supposed to be the way our government works. Supposedly. Um, but, but let's just say it doesn't necessarily work like that all the time, okay? So decision-making rights in a corporation very often happen at that C level, you know, the, the CFO, the CIO, the CEO, that kind of thing. That's normally how it happens. What, what Solomon is saying here in Psalm 127 is if you really want the Lord to build your life and build the foundation of your life, you need to turn over to Jesus decision-making rights. Lord, you decide. See, it says here, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord's plan is enacted, unless I follow his way, it becomes in vain. Now, there's a second thing here that you see here, and it has to do with who we listen to. Secondly, we need to seek wise counsel. Again, the problem here from Psalm 127 is they haven't considered the Lord's plans or they have not listened to the Lord's. So think about it for a second. Just ask yourself the question, who do you listen to on a daily basis? And who do you go to for advice? Because the Bible would tell you that your advice needs to be godly counsel. Now let me tell you who that's not. It's very likely not gonna be daytime TV. It's not gonna be late night TV. It's not gonna be the news. It's not gonna be talk radio. It's not coming from those places. It's not coming from places that are intended to make you mad all the time. It's not coming from organizations that ultimately wanna just make a buck so they'll tell you what you think you wanna hear. That's not good godly counsel. Godly counsel comes four ways, four ways. And by the way, each of these might be, they're all a little bit different and you might use different ones at different times or a combination of, of such. But first of all, it comes by God's word. You know, God's word will tell you where to draw the line. God's word will tell you what you ought to do with your time and your talents and your treasure or who God expects you to be or, or how I'm supposed to treat you as a person or what, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But it also gives me direction. 
How do you mean? What do you mean direction? Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That meaning that when I feel like I'm lost or the direction's not clear, I'm not really sure you know, where I'm supposed to go on this thing, I go back to God's word and it will be a lamp in a dark place. The promise here is, is that not only will God lead us, but the truth is, not only will he lead us, but he'll actually bless the efforts. And I'm not talking about like a prosperity doctrine. Um, I don't think that has any theological basis at all. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think we back God into a corner and say the right words theologically and then God gives you every single thing you want. I don't believe that. I think the prosperity we're talking about here is the blessing of God being at work in your life. It's the gathering of family and having family have great conversations they would have never had before. It's the blessing of trusting in the Lord through an issue and seeing God work in a very amazing and wonderful and powerful way. That's the promise. Joshua chapter one, verse eight says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you be careful to do all that according that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. You'll make great choices down along the way. So it starts off by being in God's word, but then you add to that, if you want good godly counsel, you've gotta pray. You know, prayer is one of those ways, I know for me personally, that God moves me the most, especially when we learn just to be still and silent before the Lord. You know, when I was in college, there was a guy on the baseball team that was discipling me, and I'll never forget, he said, hey, um, you know, we're gonna go down, we're gonna meet, there was this little chapel down on the campus, and, we, and we're gonna go to the chapel, and we're gonna pray, and I'm thinking, oh, that's good, I'm good for like two minutes, you know, I got little prayer list here and, and I can get through that one pretty good and then we can get on sort of with our day and I get there and, and he prays and literally, he must have prayed like 15 minutes. I almost fell asleep, and, and, which I'm kind of embarrassed about. But, th- but then, and then I prayed and it was like super shallow. I mean, it was like, ugh. Like he prayed like he knew God and I was just kind of going through this list of things I wanted and then I finished and I'm, I, I kind of open up my eyes. I'm like, what do we do now? And he goes, well, now we, we, we let God do his part and we continue in prayer. What does that mean? And then he shared this verse, Psalm 46, 10. It said, be still and know that I'm God. And we literally there for an hour. I mean, being quiet, silent before the Lord and, and it became like a worship moment because you begin to realize how holy God is and how powerful God is, how amazing God is and and how unholy you are and and how you don't have control of things and the longer you're quiet, you begin to know more about God and ah, the Lord leads like that. He leads us through those moments You know, so often people, when they think about prayer, they think, well, yeah, but that's just about a relational thing. It's just about me, you know, building my relationship with the Lord. No, prayer in the scriptures is also associated with wisdom. James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Do you realize what that just said right there? 
There is a 100% guarantee scripturally that if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. Can you get any better than that anyplace else? No. You know what the problem is? You may not like the wisdom you get. What if it's not the answer you were hoping for? What if you really wanted to turn right and he says turn left? Because see, it's very likely it could be different, but here's what you have to trust. That that wisdom is gonna be a good thing. James chapter three, verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. It is exactly what you need. Spending time in prayer, being still, knowing God is there will bring us wisdom. Your spiritual IQ will go up by just being still with the Lord. There's a third thing. Third part of that godly counsel is listening to the Holy Spirit's leading. Listen, God is a supernatural being. Every single thing God does in the natural realm here is supernatural. Your very relationship with him is supernatural. So if God promises us he will lead us, he will. I mean, listen to to what what Jesus said in James, or excuse me, John chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Well, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. John 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what I have said to you. The very nature, listen to this, of your relationship is supernatural. Here you are, a human being, and what the scriptures would tell us is, is that God literally puts his spirit inside of you. Twice in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6 tells you that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have within you. So God's clearly capable of of leading us. He's clearly capable of making the impressions on us of what we need to do and what we ought to, to see and think and go about doing. You might be asking, okay, well, how will I know that the Holy Spirit is leading me? Well, I'll be honest with you, that's a little bit mysterious. I, I can't tell you that for certain because I think the Spirit leads in different ways. At times, he leads me differently. At times, I get an impression that, man, I need to really call this person and I need to talk to them or this person's hurting. Man, go back and you know, say something to them. Be there for them. When you're led like that, you need to do that. You need to be completely open to what does God's spirit want for my life? Well, how can you know you're being led by the spirit? Well, it depends on if you're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Paul in Galatians chapter five actually described what those two look like. And if you go to the first part there in, in verses 19 through 21, when he talks about being you know, in the flesh, well, flesh you know, walking in the flesh looks fleshly, it looks worldly, it looks self-centered. Selfish, hurtful. 
Walking in the spirit, though, the next two verses in 23 and 24 looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The key here is this. If the fruit of the spirit is evident in my life, then being led by the spirit, then as long as I can see that that evidence is there, that the fruit is there, then I'm ready to hear at that point from the Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready for God to speak to me and tell me what he wants me to do. I'm ready to let the Lord build the house. So it starts with God's word. You pray. You open this, you you listen to the Holy Spirit. But then fourthly, you need godly men and women who will give you wisdom. Because one of the things you're gonna notice is that those that we walk with or interact with will decide whether we're wise or not. We need to determine a group of people in our lives who we deem as righteous, that are not self-seeking, not worldly, not me-oriented, who have a kingdom perspective, who love other people, who want their lives to count. We need to go to a group of people like that and say, look, I need counsel from time to time. There are times I need to ask you to pray and think on these things and I need to come back to you and, and, and just ask that God would use you as counsel in my life. Proverbs 13 verse 20 tells us that, when, that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, clearly God's word will tell you not to trust yourself. Well, why? Because it's easy for us as human beings to have blind spots. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. We don't always know the, the, other, the picture. We don't always know what other people are thinking. Sometimes we need a different point of view. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Henry Drummond once said that inside the will of God there is no failure, but outside of the will of God there is no success. I believe that. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and join me. There's a third thing here that you need that I see, a third observation here in the passage. And that is that we need to consider, you need to consider yourself a steward of all that you possess and not the owner. You see, in the passage here in Psalm 127, it never says that, you know, unless the Lord builds my house. This is not my house. In fact, you know what's interesting? You know the only house that I ever, that I can at least think of, that I could find, the only house that Solomon has ever actually, you know, sort of linked to building there was the Lord's house. He built the temple. So this isn't about my stuff. This is simply about being a steward of what God has. See, the reason why that's so important is because things and money can create devotion issues in my life. Jesus, in, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, said this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. That, that term there is such a powerful term. You will be devoted to one, but not the other. Things and money can create devotion 
issues in our lives. And so you know what the easiest way around that is? To not think that this is about building my house, but this is building the house. That God himself is the owner of all things because that's what the scriptures tell us. Colossians 1.16 says, all things belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.26 says, for the, the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 says, for every beast of the field is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, the wild beasts of the field are mine. The world is mine it's all, in all of its fullness. Everything belongs to the Lord. In fact, if you want great truths here to sort of live by, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 will give you one incredible truth about wealth and finance and one quality investment in chapter 6. The truth here comes from starting in verse 9. He says, but to those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through that, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's the truth. The quality investment starts in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Look, let me ask you in closing here one question. Each of us will come ultimately to the day that we have a deathbed. But on your deathbed, if I were to ask you this question, I want you to consider how you would respond. Would you rather have had an easy life with no trials, no difficulties, a life of your own choices where you got to make all the choices and basically just a piece of cake? Or would you rather have lived a satisfying life one that most assuredly would have taken you down paths that you did not choose for yourself, but that God chose to make you better. You see, pursuing a life that God calls us to is going to take us places that maybe you wouldn't have chosen. Human strategies, philosophies, though, will not match up with God's plan. beauty of what I see in Psalm 127 is this call unless the Lord builds the house you're wasting your time Bob maybe God's calling to you that as well this morning we're going to be taking communion if you don't have the stuff to take communion would you simply simply Raise your hand up. We have some people that have the stuff that they could hand you. If you slip your hand up, we'll get you a copy of that.
The reason why this fits in so perfectly because when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about taking communion, one of the things he says here in verse 20, 28 is, he says, let a person examine himself then, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What does he mean by examine yourself? He means check your, check your heart, check your motives, make sure you're right before the Lord. I would encourage you that the thing that you need to ask God is, God, Am I the one that's making all the plans and simply coming asking you at the end to rubber stamp it? Because Lord, what I'd really like to do is start at the beginning and say, God, what plans do you have? And I'll rubber stamp that. Maybe you need to make a little switch. Would you take some time, maybe right where you're at before the Lord personally, just for a moment to make sure your heart is right before the Lord. First Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul writes and he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, he writes, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink and in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Father, I pray that our hearts will be right before you. Lord, that we would not consider you our servant, asking you to simply come along and bless our will, our desire, our plans, but that we clearly understand that we're your servant, God, and that you love us better than we could even love ourselves. You know a better path for us. God, help us to willingly come before you to listen, to hear, Surround us with people who will speak truth to us in love. Thank you, Father. Put your hand to blessing on this, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My challenge to you is for 2022, don't build on any foundation other than, God, I want your will first. I'm not asking you to rubber stamp my choices. I'm asking you, give me the choices, God, and I'll follow them. I'll live in that obedience. And that means you're gonna need to spend time in God's word. You need to be in prayer. You need to find a council of people around you that you could just call on to give you just godly, wise advice because you know that they know the Lord. And that finally, you'd make that decision that only you can make that you turn the decision-making rights over to Jesus of your life. 
Listen, God will do something amazing. Let him do it, Lord. Love you all. God bless you.